Welcome. This is Crime Noir, a true crime podcast telling our stories. And I'm your host, Candice, and this is Case 28, The Disappearance of Amir Jennings. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Crime Noir. I appreciate you guys for joining me for another week. Today, I'm going to be covering the disappearance of Amir Jennings. I actually received this as a case suggestion. So I always appreciate when you guys email me, tag me on Instagram, DM me, go to my website and fill out the little comment section with case suggestions. I do keep a list of those. So please feel free to continue doing that. Before I get started, um, I just want to say that although this episode does not feature explicit language, it does feature potential violent themes regarding children. So I just want to give you guys a heads up about that. But let's jump into it. Amir Jennings was a one-year-old boy who was last seen on November 29, 2011 in South Carolina. He was last seen in the custody of his mother, Zena Jennings. Zena's family members filed a missing persons report after they could not contact her in early December 2011. On December 24, 2011, Zena was involved in a car accident while on Millwood Avenue and Lady Street. It is then when the responding officer noticed that Zena was already considered a missing person, she then gave false information to the police. She initially told police that she did not have any children, but then she later changed her story and said that Amir was staying with various friends in various cities like Atlanta to Charlotte, North Carolina. And just to be transparent, y'all, when I was researching this case, there's actually conflicting information out there. There is some reports that say she was involved in two car accidents. I really don't know how many car accidents she was involved with in December. So I just want to throw that caveat out there. There are conflicting reports regarding um, car accidents. Some say she was in a hit and run. Some say she was in a one person accident. I see some that don't even mention um, both accidents. So I'm just putting that out there for transparency and clarification points. But I'm going to continue on. So after a car accident, Zena was able to leave the hospital after she was released, and then she randomly showed up to a friend of the family's home in a hospital gown. On December 29, 2011, Zena found out the police were looking for her. She then went and turned herself in. She was detained on a $150,000 bail. She was arrested and eventually charged with lying to the police. I'd also like to note that right before Amir disappeared on November 9th, which is just a couple of weeks before he disappeared on November 22nd, Zena was arrested and charged with prostitution. Zena was seen offering passerbyers a sexual experience for $40 when she inevitably offered it to an undercover cop. She also got charged with a weed-related charge. During this November 9th debacle, Zena was staying with her sister Denise Jennings in East Point, Atlanta. Also of note, her sister Denise had reported her missing during this time and told police that she was suffering from schizophrenic tendencies, although she had not been formally diagnosed. So I just wanted to add some context as to what was going on with Zena in the weeks and days before Amir disappeared. I think that's important in this story. So to get back to the facts of the case, she lied so much during this investigation, you guys. One of her lies included telling police she didn't know her apartment number when she took investigators to a Columbia apartment, and she didn't know. They were led to this apartment after Zena said she dropped Amir off here, but that was a lie. And it's like, oh my goodness, how could you even do that? But that's just one. 
So, I mean, to get to this point, they're working on tips, trying to find Amir and working with Zena, and she's not being transparent. I know I was reading the coverage of this case, and and it seemed like the local community um, did care about him, but it didn't reach a national threshold, in my opinion, which is why I'm glad to be covering it on my show, because, I mean, Amir is just kind of out there. But let's just get back to the facts, you guys. The police did search Zena's home as her stepfather told police authorities he had seen her in the backyard of her house with a shovel around the time Amir disappeared. Police used canine dogs and a search warrant to track down the scent of Amir and discovered a shovel, bloody clothes, and blankets in her home and car. Also working on a tip, a woman who frequently visited Richland County Public Library informed police she had seen Zena at the library. The police were able to obtain surveillance footage and look into Zena's computer usage around that time. They even collected DNA from Zena and even got her medical records after her car accident. Subsequently, the blood from the blanket did match Amir's. Despite all the evidence that law enforcement officials had, at least in my opinion, she was only charged with unlawful conduct towards a child. During her trial, which began in August 2012, which lasted about two weeks, multiple people testified regarding her treatment of Amir. There were times where she was seen kicking and squeezing Amir until he cried. The repeated theme throughout the trial was that she was overwhelmed with motherhood and struggling from postpartum depression. There was also testimonies of her driving around with Amir unrestrained in a car seat and allowing him to be unsupervised. Christian Dickerson, a friend of Zena's, testified that Zena had previously said she thought about selling Amir and how motherhood was nothing like she expected. Christian also testified that she thought about throwing him out of a car. It was also reported that she had a drug and alcohol abuse issue. The prosecution also played a police interview in which Zena admitted that she needed a break from Amir and that she left him with someone she trusted. However, police officials tried to corroborate this information and found nothing. Also, phone calls between Zena and her mother Jocelyn were played in court while these phone calls occurred while Zena was in jail. During these conversations, Zena asked her mother if she was in touch with investigator Colin Bailey. Investigator Bailey works for the Columbia Police Department. Jocelyn indicated that she was not in contact with Investigator Bailey. During these phone calls, Jocelyn expressed worry for her grandson and that since he had been missing, she had not gotten the best sleep. She also informed Zena that the police were searching for Amir's body, however. Zena seemed more focused on getting out of jail and everyone knowing that she had a baby. Jocelyn also told Zena that she could get out of jail if Amir was found safe and alive. During this trial, Investigator Bailey also testified that Zena gave him the name Ernest Robinson as the father of Amir. However, Investigator Bailey was never able to find an Ernest Robinson. So she was just big capping the whole time, y'all. Also during trial, additional surveillance footage was shown during the trial. And the last day Amir was seen was November 29th, 2011 at a local bank. Employees from that bank also testified at trial. The tellers testified that Zena did not supervise Amir when she came into the bank. The employees had to bring it to her attention as Amir was opening the front door and went outside. When she went back to the bank on December 4th, Amir was not present. She withdrew all her money except $5, which was required by the bank to have an active account. 
I believe the bank teller's testimonies help provide a timeline. I mean, on December 4th, Amir wasn't present and she went and withdrew all her money. I definitely think this helps build a case. And also in court, they showed how investigators were able to search an area in Richland County after Zena's cell phone pinged near a tower there. So they were really trying to find Amir based upon what Zena had provided, but she is a liar. Also, Roderick Mitchell, Amir's actual father, testified at trial. Roderick stated that he wanted to have more of a relationship with his child, but Zena would not allow him to. Roderick said he was actually shocked when Zena let him spend a day with Amir days before he disappeared. He was able to spend a couple of days with him in November. Roderick said that he loves Amir and even Zena because he believes she was a good mother, just possessive of their child. He was paying her $150 each time he got paid, despite not being together, just to support his child. Also, another man testified that he met Zena at a gas station on December 6, 2011. It was during this conversation that the pair exchanged numbers. However, Zena did not mention having a child, nor was the child with her when they met at his apartment a few days later and had sex. And I think the most shocking thing about this, y'all, while Amir is missing, she is also pregnant during this trial. She was literally giving birth. She literally gave birth during this child. She had a daughter, which is another point of contention for me, which I'll discuss um, towards the end. But it's just this is just crazy to me. So she was actually found guilty of unlawful conduct towards a child she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Uh, police officials believe it's possible that Amir is dead, but because they didn't have any concrete evidence, such as a body, they could not charge her with murder. And as of today, Amir still remains missing. Zena was actually released from prison to a re-entry program in November 2016, and her re-entry program ended in March 2017. She had been previously denied parole in May 2015, but now she's free in society. And I'm just curious as to what has come of her daughter. I looked and I know they can't really share things about, you know, minors online, but I'm curious as to if she has custody or anything like that. I found zero articles about that. So if anybody knows, please let me know. So as far as my thoughts on this case, y'all, in my personal opinion, this one is kind of obvious, I think. I think Zena was struggling with postpartum depression, which does affect a lot of women who give birth. And I also do believe she was suffering from schizophrenia. And I'm not saying that's an excuse for her behavior, but it does put some context in the situation. I do believe she can do the right thing and let Amir finally be put to rest. I do believe she killed him. I don't think he's in um, living any longer. Um, I think the blood on the blanket, her lying, her refusal to say anything about his whereabouts besides lies is the biggest indicator of that. Um, like I said previously, I do wonder about her other daughter and how she is being raised. There's not enough information, but I hope she's out there um, being healthy and being raised in a loving family or whatever the case may be. I know law enforcement continues to search for Amir, at least as of June 2018. They were still searching for him, 
and law enforcement also lets it be known that Zena has continued to be unresponsive and uncooperative in regards to telling the truth about what happened or where the baby might be. So, I mean, she mental illness is a big thing. I will say that. But like that doesn't excuse bad behavior. And I do believe that she should do the right thing and give the community, her family, peace of mind um, and closure. This case also does remind me a lot of Casey Anthony and Kaylee Anthony, except without the ounce of coverage. It also reminds me of the Chiron Horman case as well. Um, I hate cases where the parents are responsible for the kid's disappearance and they refuse to give information. It just kind of annoys me. Um, all around, this is sad. I hope Amir is found. So like I said, the community, his family members can get some some peace of mind. It's just a really sad case. Um, and I also feel like it's really sad that she refuses to let people know the truth about where he's at. So it's, I, it's just really sad. As of today, Amir will be 10 years old and he will be 11 this year. There is still a $10,000 reward out for information leading to his whereabouts. If you have any information pertaining to his whereabouts, Crime Noir urges you to contact 888-CRIME-SC, which is Crime Stoppers. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode. Let's get into some Noir news. So this week in Noir news, I actually have three cases that I would like to discuss. The first is... The death of Kendrick Johnson will be reopened by the Lowndes County Sheriff's Department. And if you're not familiar with this, Kendrick Johnson was a black teenager who was found deceased in a rolled up mat on January 10th, 2013. And this has kind of been all, I won't say all over the media, but like definitely in the true crime community, this is a hot case. And I'm just floored and ecstatic that it's being reinvestigated and re-looked into. This case also has caused a lot of controversy because it doesn't appear that the case was investigated properly and was rushed to look like an accident when in fact something more sinister could be at play, at least in my uh, opinion. At some point, you guys, I will cover this on my show. I've been wanting to cover this case on my show for a while now, so I will in the future cover this one. I'm just very excited about this because this case never really sat well with me. The family is extremely passionate about receiving justice for Kendrick. I will be interested to see how this investigation shakes out and definitely keep my eyes and ears open. I want to know what you guys think about this as well. Um, This is kind of a big deal. I mean, their family has been fighting very um, hard for this case, and I hope to see some kind of justice for them. And my second story today is about a rapper by the name of Obi Noor. He was tragically chased down and shot and killed on March 8th in Midtown Houston. 31-year-old Xavier Robertson was shot and killed at approximately 3.40 a.m. on the 2900 block of Fannin Street. According to the news reports, Xavier was seen running down the street when two people got out of the car and shot him. Xavier passed away at the scene. If you have any information pertaining to his death, please contact Houston Police Homicide Division at 713-308-3600. I had never heard of Obi Noor, but I was saddened by the news, and I'm just sending love and light to his family and friends. I just kind of been seeing it on social media. I've never listened to his music or anything like that, but it's always sad to see somebody get gunned down like that. So my third story is my final story today and it's about how investigation discovery will be covering the disappearance of Briasia Taylor 
If you're not familiar about this case, I encourage you to become informed. I've posted her on my Instagram, and I've also posted her on my Twitter. This case is quite infuriating, but I will give you guys a brief rundown and let you all come to your own conclusions. 10-year-old Briasia Taylor disappeared on July 10, 2020 from Davenport, Florida. She was permitted by her mother, Aisha Langford, on July 9th to attend a sleepover with her half-brother at her half-brother's father's house, Henry Dinkins. Briasia was last seen early Friday morning on July 10th on the 2700 block of East 53rd Street. She was last seen wearing shorts, a white t-shirt, and flip-flops. Once Briasia was discovered missing, the community sprung into action to look for her. However, it wasn't until July 14th that Davenport police officials announced that Henry is a person of interest in Briasia's disappearance. This is where things completely weird me out, y'all. Henry is a registered sex offender and has been for some time. He was convicted for sexual abuse in the third degree in 1990 with the child ranging in age 0 through 13. He was 17 when he sexually abused a five-year-old girl. Police have not named him as a suspect. However, he does remain a person of interest. He was arrested and charged with failing to register as a sex offender. Because of this and the multiple felonies, he could be sentenced under enhanced sentencing, which means he could be in jail for a longer period of time. However, Briasia remains missing. Now, y'all, I was doing some research on this case, and I'm not victim blaming. I'm not victim shaming. But the mother knew he was a registered sex offender before she took Briasia over there. I don't want to judge anybody, but I just don't think that was a good decision. I say all that, that to say that I'm looking forward to the ID series, show, documentary, whatever they decide to do regarding Briasia because I want her to be found. And also the FBI is currently um, highlighting her as well on her website. So if you're not familiar with this, guys, please look at my Instagram or my Twitter. I've talked about it. This case I am following. I have my Google alerts on. I encourage you guys to do that as well. I hope Briasia is found safe and healthy. I hope, you know, Henry comes forward if he had something to do with it. It's just a very sad situation all around. And that is all I have this week in Noir News. I'm going to wrap up today's episode. I appreciate you guys for listening with me this week. Please follow me on social media. My Twitter is CrimeXNoir. My Instagram is CrimeNoirThePodcast. My website is CrimeNoirThePodcast.com. I hope you guys have a happy, safe, healthy week, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.